Tonight, we are going to be looking at how do I believe in a God that I can't see? How many of you guys have ever struggled with that question? Let me see your hand. I mean, I would say most of us. If you don't have your hand up, you're a liar. That's okay. Uh, We'll pray for you later on tonight, too. Um, But no, seriously, all of us at one point or another, we've kind of got to the point where we've said, all right, really? Is this all for real? I mean, I've never even seen God. Sometimes it feels like He's not even there when I talk to Him. I don't really believe that there may be a God out there. You know, we've had some doubts as what those things look like. So tonight, that's what we're going to tackle. The question of, is there even a God? Do we know that? Because there's a lot of people that are going to ask you this question. They're going to say, hey, how do you believe in God if you can't see God? Well, I'm going to show that to you tonight. I've got you in John chapter 20, verse 29, because you know this. Um, You guys have ever heard of a guy by the name of Thomas. He usually has a first name that goes with him. It's called what? Doubting. Um, Because Thomas was a guy that doubted. Um, We see this here in verse 29 of chapter 20. Now, of course, you know, going up to this, Jesus has, you know, came out of the tomb at this point. Um, He's appeared to Mary Magdalene and Mary and some of the disciples and and different things of this sort. Um, And he appeared to all of them in the upper room. Uh, This is that place where they were locked in because they were scared to death. They weren't sure really what was going to happen. None of them, I don't think, firmly believed that Jesus was actually going to die because they had sold their whole life into following this guy. And then the fact that he died, they're like, okay, well, now what do I do? Because I don't think they fully grasped the whole concept of, hey, in three days, he's going to walk out of a tomb. Because let's be realistic for a moment. If somebody told me today that, hey, I'm going to die, and you know what? I'm going to come back from the dead. We'd look at them and be like, okay, whatever, bro. That's awesome. Get off the sauce. Uh, you're, you're having some issues again. That's the truth. So, Here's the thing that I've learned at 42 young years of age. Some of you guys see that as very old. I've learned this. Humanity has not changed since the beginning of creation. The things that the first people struggled with are some of the same things that we struggle with today. Obviously, doubt is one of those. Thomas was one of those guys because he came in. Thomas was like, look, unless I can put my finger in the hole and I can put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Well, Jesus allowed him the opportunity for his benefit and for ours In verse 29, it says this, after he had already put his finger there in in his hands um, and in his side, he says, do you believe? And Thomas answered this, he says, my Lord, my God. And Jesus says this to him in 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. See, we all have this saying, here it is, seeing is what? Believing, right? If you see something, you're going to believe it, right? Because our eyes are, the most, are the, one of the most faithful things that we have that we can say, hey, is this true or not, right? If I see it, then I'm going to believe it, right? Okay, well, let's take a look at some of these things right here. Are those boxes of the same color? All right, do this. Take your finger from where you are and stick it right in between the white line right there. Guess what? They're the same color. Yes, they are. If, if you would put, take your finger, I can't do it up here. You have to just trust me. But if you cover that white line, and if you don't believe me, we can go back to the computer later on. Those two boxes, they're the same color. Here, here's the thing, scientifically proving. I, I can guarantee you 100%. Let's go to the next one. 
The circle in the center on each one. Which one's bigger or smaller? They are 100% the same size. The circles on the outside give you the illusion because of the smaller ones versus the bigger ones. It makes the one on the left look bigger. They're the same size. All right, next thing. All right. Count, count the black dots. Now, hold up, hold up. What was that that you just said? The black dots keep disappearing. So there's no black dots up there. It's your eyes playing a trick on you. Let's see the next one. All right, which of these, the, the horizontal lines, which of those horizontal lines are parallel? Every single one of them. They're all parallel. They are completely parallel. It's an illusion because the black boxes being curved like this give you the appearance that the lines are not straight across. They're 100% parallel. Here's the last thing that I want you to see that's going to freak out your eyes. Go for it. That's weird, isn't it? That's, that's pretty intense. When I first saw that, I'm like, how the heck did she do that? Here's what we're going to do. Me and Ryan and Will, this is going to be part of Will's uh, senior internship project. We're going to take pictures like that. It's going to have to be a big mirror to get me behind it. But I, why are you laughing, Bo? That's not funny. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Bo does know. All right. So there it is. All right. Okay. So now can you say this with 100% certainty that sometimes seeing is not believing? Your eyes will play tricks on you. Now, here's the thing. Every single one of those things were meant to trick you. It's, it's all an illusion, like an illusionistic sleight of hands. Everything up there was, was what I said, but they purposely do things like that to try to deceive your eyes. Okay. Let me give you some real, real world situations. Um, I, I found this online because they actually taught this to us in psychology when I was in college. Some of the criminal classes, not criminals, like that, some of the criminal justice classes in colleges, this is what they do. This is an experiment. Listen to this. Um, this is how, I, how you can see that not, seeing is not really believing. I went, and I'm going to read this. It's kind of long, so bear with me. Eyewitness testimonies have been shown to be not very reliable. Eyewitnesses' testimonies have been shown to not be very reliable due to numerous factors in addition to improper suggestive police procedures, such as the amount of time the witness was able to see the defendant accused of the crime, the distance, yada, 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 all this stuff, okay? All right, here's where it gets good. An example of some of these problems is illustrated by studies at law schools and other places in which students are exposed to an, to an enactment of a crime, such as someone running in in the middle of class in front of about two or 300 students and stealing papers off the professor's desk and running out quickly. The students are then asked to describe the perpetrator and the occurrence of the crime. Studies of this type generally resulted in several greatly varying so-called eyewitness accounts as to height, weight, race, clothing, hair color, eye color, what the conduct was, for example, that it was stealing papers off the death, so forth and so on. Examples of such wide varying descriptions may have been that the person was 6'2", when the person was actually only 5 feet 9. That the person was wearing a baseball cap, when in fact the person was not wearing a hat at all. Or that the person was male, when in fact the person was female, and also when the person was black, 
but actually was Caucasian. So in other words, in front of about 400 students, they do this. It's, it's a very common thing that they do in some of these criminal justice classes. They have someone in the middle of class will run in, steal things off the professor's desk, and run out, and the professor acts shocked for a few moments. And then every person in the class is given a piece of paper and says, you're all eyewitnesses. I need for you to describe what just happened in detail. All of those things are disputed, whether the person was black or white, whether it was a man or a woman. And you think, there's no way in this world that I could sit in that class and someone run in, steal papers, and run out, and I not be able to describe them. You think that, don't you? Wrong. There's another trick that they've shown. And if I would have found this, I would have shown it. They do this in psychology class. They put four lines up on, up on a screen. One line is obviously much, much shorter than the other lines. Like if it's A, B, C, and D. C would be the most obvious short line out there. One person in the whole group is not in on the joke. Every other single person is in on the experiment, not a joke. And every person will agree that A is the shortest line. When in fact, anyone with any common sense will say, C is the shortest line. Do you know 90% of the time, the person that's not in on the group will actually say that A is the, the shortest line just because everybody else in the room has? What I want you to understand as we walk through this tonight is that seeing is not always believing. Your mind and your eyes will play tricks on you. We, we've proved it just here in this short amount of time. We see that it's something that they do in college classes. Now, the first thing that we did, it was. It was completely just to trick you to get some fun things going, to give some illusions, how you can change some things, and it makes it look like something's not really there. But the second thing in the college class is 100% real-life stuff. So, sometimes we think that our eyes are the most reliable thing. Well, they're not. So if that's not true, then it has to be true that sometimes things exist that can't be seen. Okay, outside of God, what are some of those things that you think? What? Atoms, you're right, but you can see atoms. You get a strong enough uh, microscope, you can. Emotions. Thank you. Emotions, is that what you said too? What'd you say? Magnetic field, okay. I thought you said how you might feel. I'm like, okay, yeah. All right, go right here. What's that? Oxygen. Hey, this stuff that you're breathing in the air, as a matter of fact, 20.6% of what's in the air is oxygen. You're breathing that right now. You don't see it. You were getting ready to say something. Emotions, yeah. Gravity. We don't see gravity, but we know gravity exists. Yes, ma'am. The wind. Now, and some of you guys are going to argue like, well, I've seen the wind. No, no, you, you see the things that the wind picks up. You see evidence of the existence of the wind. What about ultraviolet light? Can't see it. What about radio waves? Can't see them. Here it is. What about love? You can't see love, though. But you know what? We know that love exists. Exactly. Thank you for proving my point. I love when people do that. They think, oh, I got you. You just proved my point even more. Thank you. All right. What about this? Uh, make sure I didn't forget anything. The wind. Love. How about the, the universe? There are still parts of the universe that we have not seen. 
We do. We see really far away. Now, the Hubble telescope is, is either it's already been decommissioned or it's about to. It has. Because before I left NASA, we started working on another telescope called the James Webb Telescope. Yes, I used to work at NASA. Don't ask a question. Um, so we, is that what you were going to ask? Yeah, I did. Um, the, the plaque with all the people signing my stuff is in there. Um, so the James Webb Telescope, we started working on that years ago before I left. It, this thing is awesome. It can see, I don't know how much farther, but it can see a lot farther into space than the James Webb Telescope. Than, uh, than the Hubble telescope. So all these things we know, but even still past that, we can't see, but we know it exists. And then obviously the thing that we know exists, that we believe in, because it's not there, I mean, because we don't, we don't see it, but we believe it's there, is obviously God, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, if I don't see these things, how do I know these things exist? How do I know the wind exists? You can see the effects of it. You can feel it. I mean, all of the radio, I mean, if, there, if radio waves did not exist, then, you know, I wouldn't be able to listen to the radio. You know, some people still do that. I don't know if you know this or not. Some people actually listen to the radio in their car. Crazy. Not everyone listens to Spotify or the even better thing called Apple Music. Not everyone does. Uh, yes, Apple, I would like some proceeds for that commercial. Thank you. Hand out there. Um, but so not everybody realizes that, that you can do that. Radio waves exist. If they don't, then we don't listen to our radios. So many other things do as well, too. So, we know that the evidence is out there, so let's look at some of the evidences that God, the unseen, exists. First thing I want us to look at tonight is the evidence that, um, somebody keep me on track, I don't have a clock up here, um, that the evidence of God through creation. Look at what it says in Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, it says this, for for what can be known about God is plain to them. He's talking to the Romans. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Hey, it says you're, we are without excuse because all of this stuff out there that God has created is evidence of his creation. We're without excuse. Now, obviously, if you've traveled the world, if you've been around the world, you see that there's a lot of beauty in the world. Stand, if you go stand on the south or the north rim of the Grand Canyon, if, if you go uh, and climb some of the mountains, Mount Kilimanjaro in uh, Tanzania, or Tanzania, depending on what part of the country you're from. If you're Kenyan, that's how they say it. Or maybe you've been to the ocean. You know, Panama City is kind of like our playground, right? That's where we go. woo woo. But if you go to like some other oceans that are actually really pretty, and you can see like the deep blue water, you see that that's, that's a beautiful thing. How about the power of a hurricane? You know, when we used to live in the armpit of our, of our country, it's called Houston, Texas. Yeah, we lived there because it was hot and it smelled much like your armpit does. For anyone that's listening from Houston, I apologize, I used to live there. Uh, so, you know, we used to live in Houston. You always ran from these big, powerful things called what? Hurricanes. You know, I don't know why New Orleans hadn't got the idea to build above sea level, but hey, you know, whatever. If they want to keep getting flooded, that's their jam. But so my point is, you see the power of a hurricane. We know that that comes from God. Um, how many of you guys watch sunsets? There's our romantics in the room. You guys watch sunsets? Y'all are such girls. Come on, man. Be like a man. Only watch a sunset if your wife makes you. 
And then you've got to say you enjoy it a lot. I, I do, sweetie. I love watching sunsets. They're beautiful, picturesque, all that stuff. I'm just joking. Um, so my point is this, is that you, you watch a sunset, all the colors. Here's the thing. We see it because the other night, probably about two weeks ago, I was leaving church and off to the northwest over here where the sun was going down, everybody in Rome took a picture of that sunset. Why? Because of the multitude of colors that were in that sunset. You know what I'm talking about because you saw it on Instagram, the all-knowing, right? So, that's from God. That's an evidence of God's creation. Now, if you live out kind of like where we live or some of these other people live and there's not a lot of lights, you know what you get to see at night? I don't want to shock you. You get to see stars. You know, stars are actually in the sky. If you turn your lights off and get out of the city a little bit, you can go and see these magnificent balls of fire in the sky. They're called stars. And they're, they're pretty cool. A lot of times what we'll do with me and the girls, when we get home, if it's late, which it normally is, unfortunately, we get out of our vehicle, and all the lights are usually off, or at least low enough to where we'll stop in our driveway, right? And we'll look up at the sky, and we'll look at the stars for a while. All of that is the evidence of God's existence. Scripture says that we are without excuse because we see that. Now, here's the other thing, that's, that, that's some more things that we can see in creation, the universe, it's a finely tuned running machine. Think about it. I don't care what they say now. There's nine planets out there. Pluto's still a planet in my generation, and that Gatorade is green. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but so, so all of the planets that are circling the sun, you know, they never hit each other. All of the moons that are going around those particular planets, let's say ours, the moon that goes around ours, Everything is perfect and balanced. As a matter of fact, if gravity were to change, I think it's like 10 to the 40th, just a, just a, a little bit of a, a small, minute portion. If, if gravity, if the force of gravity on the earth changed or pushed, that, that small margin, we would not be able to have life on our planet. It's all in a perfect window for a perfect reason. That's because that's how God made it, and he intended it to be that way. Um, but here's another thing. All scientists will agree with this. The smart ones do anyway, because Einstein even said this, and you know, he's pretty smart. You know what they discovered about the universe that's doing what? Expanding. The universe is co- in a constant state of expansion. Now, but here's my question. Imagine this. If you take that, you ever, you ever rewound something? I know you guys don't have that anymore, but we used to have like these things called VHS tapes. It was so weird. You know, it was crazy. You could like actually rewind them and then you could fast forward them to get to the parts. You couldn't just like jump chapters like you do now. But if you would rewind something, it goes backwards, right? So if we, if we take the hands of time, since our universe is expanding, if we take the hands of time and we start to rewind time, what does the universe do? It gets smaller. And if we keep going back far, and far, and far, and far enough. You know what we get to? Here it is. It's awesome. We get to a single point in history to where creation began. God said, let there be light. And there was light. He created the heavens and the earth. He spoke all of this into being. Guys, the more we discover 
and science discovers, science is now starting to prove the existence of God because everything that we see in this world cannot be explained without, without God intervening and creating and controlling all the things that happen. I think you get the point. Listen to what the psalmist says here in verse 19.1, talking about that how this is all for us. It says, 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That's what Paul was writing to the Romans. What the psalmist wrote, that it says here that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above him proclaims his handiwork. Creation. Our universe, all of these things that we see, nature is the evidence of God. Here's the second thing. And man, I'll tell you what, this will blow your mind. Sit back, strap your seatbelt on. But when you think through this, it's very logical. And some of you guys actually sat back. I'm like, I was just joking. That's what <laughs> Here's the second thing to where we can prove the existence of God. Everyone. Now, it may be imperfect, but everyone has this programmed nature in their body between right and wrong. Every single person alive today. Now, we'll talk in a few moments, but what you believe to be right and wrong may be a little different than what I believe is right and wrong, but every single person on the planet of the earth has this programmed nature inside of them that, hold up, this is right, or, nah, I'm not going to do that, this is wrong. Even the people that have never experienced God, even before I was a Christian, I knew that certain things, my eye, you know what? <laughs> this is probably going to get me in trouble. Versus, hey, okay, that is because God has programmed all of us this way. Um, here's, here's the big thing that philosophers struggle with. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the problem of, of evil, right? That's not what I'm going to say. Philosophers struggle with the problem of so much good in the world. Go look it up if you don't believe me. They struggle with there being so much good in the world. Now, I know that surprises you, and the reason that is is because we think that there's a problem with evil in the world. Well, let me read this quote to you here. This is why they struggle, because this is coming from there's a belief that there's no God. If there is no God in the world, if there is no being who, had, who as the author of of life can distinguish between right and wrong, why is it universally accepted that there is such a thing as right and wrong? That's the very nature of God that he has put into humanity. Every single one of us have this program inside of us of something is right or something is wrong. Now, we're Christians, so there's a lot of things that we're going to agree on that's right and wrong, but even people that aren't Christians how many people look at the Holocaust, what happened during, during, the, during the Second World War of, of the, just the massacre of so many Jews, how many people look at that and say, oh, that, that is horrible. I cannot believe that somebody would do that. Why? Why would someone believe that? Because God has that programmed into their life and they don't even know it. Now, we see that because we say that, hey, everyone is made in the image of God, so all people are precious and we shouldn't take the life of anyone, obviously, except for in certain circumstances. You see how we're starting to roll with this now? C.S. Lewis says this. 
I won't read that. C.S. Lewis says this. He argued that every single one of us have to decide between two very different worldviews. This is what the two worldviews are. The first one is this. It's the materialistic worldview. C.S. Lewis argues that, you know, stuff just happens. The world just is. It's a, it's a sequence of random events that take place, and then the result, almost like rolling a dice, is what we have today. That's the materialistic worldview. That's what C.S. Lewis says. That's one view that you can take. Here's the other one that he says. The other view, which he says he believes is the most reasonable, is what he calls the religious view. And obviously, I believe this as well, too. He says this, a mind that can not only think, but it's also a mind that thinks morally. Listen to this quote from him. It is a mind that doesn't just make plans in order to stock up enough food to get through the winter like an animal may, but a mind that actually cares about people who don't have food. He calls this moral law. And this is what he says about moral law. The rule of right and wrong or law of human nature or whatever you call it must somehow or another be a real thing, a thing that is really there, not made up by ourselves. And yet it's not a fact in the ordinary sense in the same way as our actual behavior is a fact. It begins to look as if we shall have to admit that there is more than one kind of reality, that in this particular case there is something above and beyond the ordinary facts of men's behavior and yet quite definitely real, a real law which none of us made but which we find pressing on us. In other words, hey, It's a real thing. We've not made it up, but it's there. When we were in Houston, Texas, and yes, and I'm I'm going to say this person. There's a lot of people that are homeless that they choose to be that way. Actually, when I was in Texas in college, uh, we studied about a guy that is homeless by choice from Austin, Texas, and he actually wrote a book. Um, Everything that he used to write the book, the pieces of the typewriter, typewriter, you know, Y'all know what a typewriter is? Okay. Uh, Not a word, not a computer where it's got like this printer. Um, But he actually found enough pieces. He lived near a college, UT. Um, But so he found all these pieces of, of a, sorry, he found all these pieces of a typewriter and put them together and he wrote a book. And the book got published. We had to read the book. He made tons of money off that book. He got out of the street and moved into an apartment in in a certain amount of time. You know what he did? He moved back to the street because he didn't want to be caught in the system. Now, I say all that to say this, to prove my point, that sometimes people that live on the street do it by choice. But still, my morality, my heart, I'm wired of the person that when I would pass this certain man every single day getting off where where I went to the hospital and worked, Suzanne would ride with me because we worked near each other. She would drop me off and then go to her office and then come back and get me at the end of the day. I would always want to take a $5 bill and stick it in a Gideon Bible and hand it to him. And I would sometimes. And Suzanne would always say, honey, you know that guy is just going to take that Bible, pull the $5 out of it, and throw it on the ground. And I would say, yeah, I I know. The Bible's not for him. The Bible's for the person that's walking along and picks it up and finds it there. Because this guy just wants the money. I I know that he was probably going to do bad things with it, But still, my heart went out for him. That's just the way that I'm shaped. And some of you guys are that way as well, too. Um, So, 
We obviously know that we live in a world to where there's, there's, there's these different types of law that he's talking about. The law, the rule of right and wrong, human nature, all these things. We know that right and wrong means something, even if we disagree on the category. Like, do you believe that, I just had this discussion with somebody earlier, do you believe that drinking is right or wrong? You have an opinion on that. Why? Because God wired you that way. Do you believe that you should you know, let people walk all over you or stand up for your right? Do you believe that, that you are, are, are going are gonna to date someone or you're not going to date someone? All of us have these different things that we believe is right or wrong because that's the way that God has made us. That's another one of the evidence that he's made. Now, Tim Keller, uh, Ryan actually has this book. Uh, he's a pastor in New York City at Presbyterian Church, Redeemer, sorry, Presbyterian Church, He wrote this book called The Reason for God and the Belief in the Age of Skepticism. Now, in this book, he gives a lot of clues about the existence of God. I just want to go through a few of them here real fast. He talks about that there's one of the clues for the existence of God is that, hey, you know what? The world has began. Guess what? Congratulations, you're in the world. God created it. There's there's no dispute. I mean, because if you start to look scientifically at things, there's too much random chance that things would have just happened. Random leads to chaos, not to order. So, all that. Now, believe me, I, I know some of you in here are like, well, who? Evolution's real. We're not talking about microevolution versus macroevolution. And yes, things do evolve. Don't shake your head. Evolution is something that happens. If you're listening to me on the podcast and you don't believe that, call and we'll talk about it. I believe I've got enough stuff to back that up. But I, there's, a, there's a difference. That's a whole big thing. We're not talking about microevolution versus macroevolution. We're just saying that things do change over time. Guess what? That's called evolution. Anyway, that's another story. Uh, You can talk to the professor in the corner if you've got more questions about that. So the world began. Guess what? Awesome. You're in it. Here's Here's another clue that the world is hospitable to life. Like I talked about a moment ago, that the creation is proof of his existence. The world that you're on, this thing called the third rock, the earth, Guess what it holds? Life. <laughs> Congratulations. You're alive. You're living on it. It's got these four seasons, depending on where you live. You've got long daylight, depending on where you live, a little bit of daylight where you live. Hey, there's some places that, you know what, the sun comes up at 7 o'clock every day and goes down to 7 o'clock every day, 365 days a year. That's foreign to us, but not to Kenyans that live right on the equator. See, the earth holds people. It houses us. Here's another thing. Laws of nature are reliable. They don't change. You know what? A cat is never going to look at my dog and be like, she's fine. Why? That's not how God made them. Our horse is never going to look at our dog and be like, I want that to be my girlfriend. Never. Why? Because that's not how they made it. Guys, we have been in the Serengeti. Oh, I'm sorry. We're, the part of the world that we were in, it was called the Maasai Mara. But we've, we've been there. We've seen massive herds of animals roaming across the landscape. And you know what? Timon and Pumbaa, they didn't look at each other and be like, yo, we're going to have kids together one day. Not at all. You, you never had any of these other animals that wanted to have anything to do with the other ones. Why? Because that's not how God made them. I say all that, and I know it's funny. You guys are kind of cackling and kicking Timon and Pumbaa. Let's be real. The reality of it is, is that's the way that God made it. Guess what? That is proof of the existence of God. Here's another thing that he says. 
This is the one that he really uses to make sense of all of this. Uh, he, call, he goes back to, what, to, to something that C.S. Lewis says, uh, but he calls it something different. Tim Keller calls it the concept of moral obligation, and I'm going to read this quote from him. Though we have been taught that all moral values are relative to individuals and cultures, we can't live like that. In actual practice, we inevitably treat some principles as absolute standards by which we judge the behavior of those who don't share our values. What gives us the right to do that if all moral beliefs are relative? Nothing gives us the right, yet we can't stop. People who laugh at the claim that there is a transcendent moral order do not think that racial genocide is just impractical or self-defeating, but that it is wrong. The Nazis who exterminated Jews may have claimed that they didn't feel it was immoral at all. We don't care. We don't care if they sincerely felt they were doing a service to humanity. They ought not to have done it. It's called the moral law. Tim Keller says that it exists. See, here's the truth of the reality. If you get rid of God, you get rid of good. If you get rid of good, you get rid of God. There is good in the world because God exists. Here's the last thing that I want us to look at, and this is really short. The third thing is that we know that God exists. The Bible says so. Guys, this is right where we started from. We have made a complete run around the block, and guess what? We've started right, we've came back to right where we started. The Bible. Remember, we spent the first two weeks talking about the importance of God's Word, and we spent two weeks opening up the, you know, the things of Scripture to show that the Scriptures are something that have been shown historically reliable, and that what's in this can be proved and backed up. And I told you, I said, one day you're going to have to stand on this, and you're going to have to answer tough questions. Guess what we're doing? We're standing on this, and we are answering tough questions. Why do I believe in a God that I can't see? Well, if, if I don't believe the Bible, which I, I should, then I have to look at creation because creation is the evidence that he exists. Just the fact that everyone has a moral, a moral compass that says, hey, this is right or this is wrong is another evidence. But the Bible is what says this is before. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 says this, Talking about God in the Bible, it says this, um, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things are made and from whom we exist, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom all things exist. First John, I'm sorry, John chapter 1. Now, we know that John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was what? The Word. The Word was with whom? God. So we see that there's an existence of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We see this, and look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. No one. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus is the proof that God exists. Now, Jesus is someone we can pull out of history. We can, we can, we can look at Jesus through archaeology through the things that the Scripture says in the New Testament about places that Jesus had been to. We can look, are you ready? We can look at other religions to prove the existence of Jesus. Islam, 
So many others prove the existence of Jesus because they talk about Jesus, that he was, he was, a, he was a good teacher and he was a good prophet. Well, hello, if he's such a good teacher and prophet, why don't we believe what he says? That's another whole talk. Other things prove the existence of Christ. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Here it is. Those are the things that you have to, you have to bring out yourself. The Bible is enough proof for us that God exists, but for some it's not. Because there's some people that you're going to encounter that, you know what, they're not going to believe the Bible. Awesome. Point them out there. Where did this come from? Explain childbirth. Explain that the fact that everybody has this whole moral compass. It may not all point the same way, but everyone has a belief of right versus wrong. All of those things are proof that God exists. Just like you can't see the wind, you can only see the existence of it. Just like you can't see God, you can only see the existence of it. I hope that helps. 